You're listening to the Jewish Living Podcast. I'm Rabbi Nachum Mech. Okay, let's begin. Jewish Living continued. We've been studying the laws of brachas for the last few months, two or three months. And specifically, last week, we shifted to the laws of benching, the laws of Birkat HaMazon. We talked about the word benching, which is a Yiddish word. That means blessing, literally, but it's what we refer to specifically um, for um, for the bracha that we recite after benching. Actually, Shira, can I ask you a favor? Can you grab an art scroll sitter? Maybe a handful if you want. If you don't mind, do you mind? Thank you. I appreciate that. I was going to bring in a, an art scroll sitter or seven. Last week, and it'll be helpful for specifically for this class. Last week, if you recall, if you were uh, if you joined us, if you weren't able to join us last week, um, as every week I try to I tr- I do try to post this class on uh, as a podcast. The Jew, thank you so much. The Jewish Living Podcast. Um, you can find it anywhere you get your podcasts: Apple, Spotify, Google. It's also available on the Colos website. So please. Um, if you miss a class or you want to review, I actually personally myself, I find them a helpful review for myself. So I remember what I what I teach. <laughs> um, last week, we talked about the who, where, when, and why, if you recall, of Birkat HaMazon, the laws of benching. Today, what I would like to co- cover primarily is what. What is benching? Meaning, we know when you bench, who's supposed to bench, why do we bench, where are you supposed to bench? How is it? Today, we're going to actually talk about how does one bench specifically, or what does one bench? What should be recited? What needs to be recited in benching? And again, I'm going to use that word benching from now on. Benching means berkat hamazon. It means this prayer that we recite after we eat a bread meal. If you open up in the art scroll sitter, which again, I really encourage everyone should have a copy of, of an art scroll sitter. It's very, very helpful and handy. If you open up to page 184, page 184 in the Art Scroll Sitter, you'll find Birkat HaMazon, you'll find benching in Hebrew, you'll find it in English in 185. Last week, again, we pointed out you can bench in English if you're more comfortable with that. Not a problem. Page 185 in the English. What should one bench? The short answer is follow your sitter and you're good. By the way, another good word you should know, what's a bencher? Sometimes you find a little pamphlet that just has basically benching in it, plus a few other prayers, most notably the Friday night Kiddush, the Shabbos Kiddush, some of the Zmiros, the traditional songs that we sing Friday night, Shabbos day, and a couple other small uh, prayers. That's called a bencher. Again, it's the same derivation. The word bench is Yiddish for blessing. That's what it's called. So either get yourself a bencher uh, or have yourself an art scroll sitter. If you just follow along in the benching, that's all you need to know. What I would like to do tonight is to a little bit, I, I always find it helpful, especially when it comes to any form of liturgy, to actually understand what we're doing. Um, not so much what we're saying, because you just read the English translation and it'll make sense. I want to get take it actually a step deeper to actually understand what it is that we're saying it, you know, that we're saying and, and the structure of it. It just helps us get a better sense of what's going on. So you look, the benching begins on page 184, and it goes all the way to page 194 on the bottom, 195 in the English. And there are a couple of insertions here, a couple extra things we say there. Um, maybe to just really take it from the top. Where does benching actually begin? If you want to really take it back, we can move back to page 182. 
If you go back to page 182, you'll find that there's a special prayer that people often sing. If you ever go to someone's house, especially on Shabbos or on a Yom Tov or on a holiday, people will sing Shir Hamalos. Psalms 126. Kuf, oops, I'm sorry. Kuf, oh, I'm sorry. Kuf Chaf. Kuf Chaf Ches. Sorry. Kuf Chaf Vav. Um, let, me, let me just pin myself. Um there is a tradition. We start with Shir Hamalos. It's not required. It's actually brought, the Mishnah Brewer brings it in actually in Simon 1, in chapter 1, the first Simon in the entire code of Jewish law, when he talks about remembering Zechar Lechorban, remembering the Beis Hamikdash. There is an idea, it's based on Kabbalistic tradition, the Shla who brings it, the recite Shir Hamalos, which talks about the Shavash Hamas Tzion, um, as Shiva Tzion talks about returning to Jerusalem. Um, during the weekdays, some have the tradition, most people don't, but in theory, the tradition is to recite either Psalms 137 or 126, Days like holidays or special occasions, we say Shir Hamalos. Um, during the weekday, people recite the chapter of Al Naharos Bavel by the rivers of Babylon. They both have the same theme. It's about the return, the rebuilding of Jerusalem. M most people do sing if you've ever been to a shul or to someone's house, they will sing Shir Hamalos on Shabbos. Most people do not recite Al Naharos Bavel. That's just been my, my experience. And again, it's not Me'ikar Hadin, it's not absolutely necessary. Okay, so those are sort of the things leading up to benching. I will flag, and everyone should be aware, there's another tradition that you might see called Mayim Achronim. Have you ever seen Mayim Achronim? We all, hopefully we've covered earlier, there is a halacha, there's a law that before we eat bread, we wash our hands, right? We talked about that. We spent the day talking about washing our hands before we eat the bread and the bracha. There is a similar halacha. It's not as rigorous of a halacha. There is a halacha that before we bench, we should also wash our hands. This is called Mayim Achronim, which literally translates into the after water. Mayim, water, Achronim, at the end. And people do do this and really should do this. It is really a halacha. However, uh, what's the reason for Mayim Achronim? The reason for Mayim Achronim uh, or two, twofold um, is one, it's based on the, the two two reasons that the Mishnah Brewer brings. Number one is that back in the good old days, people used to eat their foods with their hands and have as good, you know, forks and knives and silverware. And you used to get certain types of salt on your hands or something called Melech Sedomis, literally means salt of Sedom. I don't exactly know what it means. I, I, people, something like this is crazy. I don't think it's so crazy. You would get certain salts on your on your hands and it could cause real, like if you get it in your eyes and your nose and whatever, if you don't wash it off, it could be very, potentially very dangerous or it was a health concern. So Chazal instant. Now, it wasn't just a good thing. This is always important. When it comes to halacha, whenever you see things like this, it's not just, okay, it's a good suggestion. They actually institutionalized mayim achronim, which always means whenever Chazal, whenever our sages institutionalize a practice, usually what that means is we have to ask ourselves, okay, if nowadays we're not usually so accustomed with eating with our hands. We've never seen this kind of dangerous salt that really, again, it's a nice idea for cleanliness, but have you ever seen people really get injured because, I don't know, they they ate with their hands and then touched their nose or eyes or something like that? Hard to imagine. It doesn't really matter because our sages did institutionalize it as a halacha. So even if we're not, it's not so commonly practiced to eat with our hands or whatever it may be, it still is a concept to wash mayim achronim, number one. Number two, the Mishabura brings the verse, the hiskadashtem is that it's a, a part of sanctification, being holy before we bench, we should wash our hands. So nothing to do with danger or salt or things like that, but it's an element of holiness. Now, how does someone wash mayim achronim? You don't need any of the, most of the halacha that 
we've seen when it comes to washing your hands before bread does not apply. You just need a little bit of water. Doesn't need to be, uh, you know, the whole process or procedure, just a little bit of, of, of water on the tip, on the, on your fingers from your knuckles and above is really all you need. Um, and that's it. Um, ideally take if lebrachel and etila, you should wash when you wash your mayim achronim. Uh, yeah, and again, you don't need a cup. You could just, any type of water will be fine. Uh, number one. Number two is again, as I mentioned, take if lebrachel and etila. Very shortly after washing our hands, you should make, you should actually bench. Ideally, you really shouldn't talk in between this mayim achronim and benching, this water and benching. Um, number two. Number three, what you may have seen is women typically don't do this. And I've studied it in halacha. It's, it, it actually seems, and it's, the Mishnah Bura doesn't bring why women don't do it, but I did see in the Dirshu notes, in the footnotes, they bring, I want to say, that, forget who said which, I think Rabbi Yashav, like in his family, they, Shlomo Zaman did one way and Rabbi Yashav did, did, did another way. But the, the common practice is that women don't do my Mahon, it's also clear why that really emerged. The, the suggestion that the dirshu, the, the footnotes bring, and this is in the name of, of this, this is the common practice. So like, if you see Maya Mahron and people washing their hands, and a lot of times you've ever seen that have a little thing of water and they pass it around, they usually only pass it to the men. In some households, the women actually also wash, and there's nothing really against that. It, it really, strictly speaking, that really should be the the from a technical strict halacha. If you're going to do ma'im achronim, there's really no difference between men and women. For some reason, over the generations, the tradition has a has kind of emerged that because this ma'im achronim, this after water thing, it's not quite as rigid in Jewish law as is. Um, like the, the the water the washing before we eat. So for whatever reason, for one reason or another, women have not adapted this halacha into common practice. And again, I forget who was either Ravel Yashav or Shlomo Zaman. I think it was Ravel Yashav. In his household, women also didn't wash. So this is normative practice. Women typically don't do my marchonim. If you want to be a woman and you want you do want to wash my marchonim, that's fine as well. Um, but that's that. Am I making sense? My marchonim, that's that. By the way, should you do my marchonim? Is it just something for Shabbos? What about during the weekday? It really should happen on weekdays as well. I, I definitely I try to, not try, I do practice my machronim. It's, it is um, it is um, the appropriate thing. If you, okay, <clears throat> continuing in our prerequisites to benching, if you look on the top of page 184, there's something called the zimun. Without getting into too, too much into, zimun is actually a, it's a quasi-bracha. What we do is if you have three men above age, you actually call it, it's the, the halacha actually brings it as a almost a fourth uh, or a fifth bracha of benching, which is this passage. If you look um, where it says, "Others, Baruch Shalchanu Mishalov Tuvo Chayinu," blessed is he who's who we have eaten and through whose goodness we live. This is a call to action. It's a call um, before we bench. It's something that you do it's when we have a group of three or more. If there are 10 men or more, the, the, we add in God's name, um, and this is based, the Talmud you know, derives that we do the Zimun based, based on the verse, a couple of verses that the Talmud brings. One of them is, when we call on God's name, everyone should come together and uh, you know, make God's name great. Um, and, and that's this idea of Zimun. And you just follow along in your sitter. I will, just so you're familiar with, there are two scenarios um, 
where the Zimun gets altered. So you should be aware of that. There are certain special occasions where the Zimun gets gets altered. It's really three occasions, but it's really practiced commonly only in, in two uh, occasions. And those are, if you turn to page 204 in the back of your sitters, page 204, there's a, set, a special Zimun, this introduction to benching, there's a special Zimun that's done at a Sheva Brachos, so either at a wedding or at a Sheva Brachos celebration, uh, the, the celebrations that we have for seven days after a wedding. It's on page 204. It's it, it's it's a very similar uh structure, it's just a little bit expanded. And uh and that's and that's that. That's on the bottom of uh of page 204. There is another exception on page 216. On page 216 or page 217, there's an expanded zimun as well at a circumcised bris. At the meal, at the festive meal that we have at a, at a bris mila, at a circumcision, there's again, there's an expanded zimun that you'll see over there. There's one other third one, but no one does this. I shouldn't say that. I've never really seen it practice. And that's at a base avel, at a mourner's house. There is there, there are those who have a custom and it is brought in halacha, but it's not commonly practiced. There's a third alternate zimun that, that is often recited in a base avel in a mourner's house, but uh, but that's not the common practice. Okay? So that's the zimun. Everyone with me so far? Am I making any sense? Okay. Benching. Now let's move to benching itself, page 184. There are five parts to benching. Okay? Five parts to benching. The actual benching. There are the first three brachas. So if you look on the bottom of page 184, that's bracha number one. Beginning on page 186, it's called the Berchas Haaretz, is the second bracha. It concludes after the first paragraph on page 188, if you have an art scroll sitter. That's the end of the second bracha. You have the third bracha, bin is the uh, Binyan Yerushalayim, is the bracha of Jerusalem. That's on the bottom of page 188, and it ends... The middle of page 190, that uvene. Those are the first three brachas. The first three brachas, as we've mentioned in the past, the first three brachas, your obligation to recite them theoretically is midaraisa. This is the one exception to all of brachas that we'll ever recite, is these first three brachas are midaraisa. They are required by the Torah, as we mentioned last week. Ve'achalta, ve'savata, uveirachta. The verse tells us we should eat, we'll be satisfied, and then we will recite a blessing. That's a reference to these three blessings. I'm going to talk about that in more detail in just one minute, but just so we understand. So those are the first three sections of benching are these three brachas, these three prayers. You then have on the bottom of page 190 is the bracha of Hatov HaMetiv. This fourth bracha on the bottom of page 190, according to all opinions, is a dirabanan. It's a rabbinic bracha. Okay, we'll talk about why and how later on today, hopefully. You then get to page 192. 192 to the end of benching is not a part of benching. What not neither midaraisa, it's not a Torah requirement, nor is it midarabanan, nor is it rabbinic. From 192 to the end of benching is a minhag. These are traditional prayers that are added. They're addendums. They're added to the end of benching. And we'll talk about that hopefully again later today. But just as a quick overview, those are our five sections. The first three brachas are Torah requirements. The fourth bracha is rabbinic. The fifth is just a tradition. 
Am I making sense so far? Does everyone get the basic overview? Let's go, let's give it a deep, a deeper dive. Let's go back to page 184. The first bracha, according to Torah or the, the Gemara, or those different sources, it was, I think it was it, somewhat composed by Moshe Rabbeinu of sorts. It's hard to know what that means. But the requirement of benching of that we have to show our thanksgiving to God, that's really this first prayer. It's a beautiful bracha. Certainly re recommend, if you ever stop and you we recite it with a little bit of concentration, it's, it, I happen to find it's a very, very beautiful prayer. Or we recognize that and we're grateful and appreciative that, um, you know, that our food comes from God. And we recognize that. Now, when we talk about brachas, it's, it's the mission of Brura makes the following observation. And I want to kind of just expound on it. We talked about this before. When we say that it, this bracha is a Torah requirement, what that doesn't mean is that the actual text of this bracha was written by God or somehow God communicated this text of this bracha to Moshe Rabbeinu. It certainly wasn't. The base, I think it's the base Yosef or the Torah. I don't remember which one. When he's, He says, when the Torah says, you'll eat and be satisfied and you should recite a bracha, it doesn't mean this specific text. It means there are certain minimum requirements, which we're going to talk about shortly, of what it means to uberach, to fulfill this requirement of showing, you know, of blessing. Most notably, it's recognizing and thanking God for the food that he's given us. But in theory, if a person were to use his own language, thank you, God, for the food that you've given me, that probably is a fulfillment of the Torah requirement. It was the Anshe Knesset Hagadola, the men of the Great Assembly we've talked about before, who are the ones who composed all the brachas that we ever, virtually all the brachas that we recite. They were the ones who composed this text as well. Me, did everyone follow what I did there? The obligation is a Torah obligation. To fulfill that Torah obligation, it could be you could use your own words. It was the Anshe Knesset Hagadola, the men of the Great Assembly, who recited most of our other prayers. They were the ones who gave it this formula, which means maybe Midaraisa on a Torah level, you can use your own words. However, we do have a rabbinic requirement to follow the text that they prescribe, which again, if you want to just know, what do I bench or have I just read what it says in the book and you're fine. But if you want to understand a little bit deeper what's going on over here, the obligation of offering our thanksgiving, that's from a Torah level. The actual text of the word, the, the actual text, that's only a Darabadam, rabbinic. Now, when it comes to the text, and I want, this is what really what we're going to be spending the rest of the class discussing, are the different nuances of the text and the obligations and stuff like that. I kind of view it in three levels. It's just helpful. This is how I view it. The, we're, as we're going to see, there are certain parts of the text in each brach, on each paragraph that are bare required minimums. You have to recite these things. If you don't, if somehow you left it out, you're going to actually have to repeat benching. Maybe not Midaraisa, but Midarabanan. Our, or maybe even Midaraisa. Our sages instituted, this is part of the text. And if you change this part or you leave this part out, you got to repeat the whole thing. That's sort of like the most mandatory minimum requirements. Okay? There is a second level, which the Rambam says is... If you change it or alter it, you may not have to repeat your benching, but your it's not a good idea. Don't change the text. This is the appropriate text. Maybe if you change it, you swap it, you edit it, you still fulfilled your obligation, but it's not a good idea. 
Don't mess with the text, okay? There's a third level, and this is more interesting historically than, than practical, but it is, it's, it's important to understand. And that is even after we have those two earlier levels, the bare minimum requirements, the not bare minimum requirements, but don't play, it's like, don't mess with the code on, on a computer program. Like you just, you don't know what you're gonna do. There are certain things where even beyond that, it is kind of up to a certain element of discretion, not your or my discretion, but communal discretion. Specifically, if you were to go back in time, not that long ago, a hundred years ago, into different communities, let's say in Europe or around the world, you will have noticed, you know, nowadays where you say, everyone, you've heard of Nusach Ashkenaz versus Nusach Svard versus Svardi. There are different texts to different prayers. Well, I'm not, Sephardic Jews have their, is, is much more different, but even within Ashkenazic Jewry, there's Sephardi, there's Chabad, there's Ashkenaz. It used to be a hundred years ago, there were even more sub-variants of the texts. What's going on over there? I'll tell you what's going on. I mentioned these three levels. They are all the same. Almost all of them are the same for those first two levels. They all have the same bare requirement. They all also have very similar. The main ideas are all exactly the same. There is a little bit of user discretion that just developed over time. Because again, we didn't have printing presses necessarily or anything. You did. You had different communities and different communities had different traditions. And there are subtle differences in the text. That's usually the main difference between Nusach Ashkenaz or Nusach Svard. In the Dominic, if you've ever seen, there are slightly different variants. This is just good background information. Practically, what should you do? Again, follow your sitter. You and I should not be playing around with this stuff. But if you were ever curious, why do some people, why does Svardim have a little bit of a different, it's, just, it's slightly different. Why is there a slight variation? You'll see, even if you study the halacha, there are different things on the different girsos, the different texts on how to recite and what to recite and when. That's where it's coming from. Does that make sense? Okay, let's move on to page 180. So that's the first bracha. Let's now tackle the second bracha, page 186. You'll note on the bottom of page 186, our sages instituted that on on Hanukkah and Purim, we have the insertion of Al-Hanisim. It should be understood. It's always important to understand. This Al-Hanisim, it, it, your sitter prints it as the layout, as like a second paragraph almost. But if you really think about it, it's an insert. So like a lot of people think that there's like two separate paragraphs. There's the paragraph of No Delacha on page 186. And then on the top of page 188, there is a, a, a second paragraph, the Al-Hakol, right? That's actually one, I mean, call it two paragraphs, whatever you want to call it. It's one bracha, okay? It's really one bracha. It's one blessing. Al-Hanisim is inserted in the middle during Purim and Hanukkah, okay? What happens if a person forgets Al-Hanisim on Purim or Hanukkah? The answer is you don't have to repeat your Shemona Esrei. However, if you catch yourself before you finish the bracha on 188, you can just go back to Al-Hanisim. But after you recite the end of the of the prayer on top of 188, you recite al-ha'aretz the concluding bracha. So then what you do is there is a special compensatory insertion on page 194 in the, the bottom gray box. You see it's a special, it's like kind of separated on 1894 or 195. On Hanagar Parim, al was not recited, you can add it over here. There's a special spot where you can insert it at the end. 
Okay. But if you forget it there also, don't repeat your, your, your benching. If we take a deeper note, a deeper look on page 186 and 188, this second bracha, it's called the Birkas Haaretz, the prayer on the land. It's a reference to the conclusion of the bracha, Baruch Hashem al Haaretz Amazon. Blessed are you, Hashem, uh, for, for the land and for nourishment. The structure of this bracha, there are three things that are absolutely critical. We talk about the bare minimums. There are three things that you absolutely have to recite in this bracha. Number one is you have to reference Aretz. You have to reference the land of Israel. Why? Well, it goes back to that verse where we learn out the laws of benching from. The achalta visavata uveirachta. You shall eat, you'll be satisfied, and then you'll recite a bracha, a prayer, al ha'aretz hatova asher on the goodly land which Hashem has given you. We derive from there that you have to reference the goodly land, reference the land of Israel, in our benching. That's what the function of the second bracha is, number one. We have to reference Eretz, the land of Israel. Now, our sages derive two other things that must be inserted in this bracha. Bris and Torah. You have to make a reference to the bris mila, to the covenant that God gave with us with the circumcision. Why? It's based on a verse that the land of Israel was given to us as a merit or through the merit of bris mila. That's why we, the, the circumcision, that's why we recite, we reference the circumcision that God has sealed on our flesh, a reference to bris mila. Number two, we have to reference Torah. And for the Torah, which you have taught us. Why? Because again, there's other verses which tell us the land of Israel, we inherit it. We are worthy of living there. Why? Because of the Torah that we observe in the mitzvahs. So we have to insert in this, the bare minimums for the second bracha are Eretz, Bris, and Torah. The land, circumcision, and Torah. That, those are the three minimum requirements. Again, everything else, keep, keep, but just so we understand, that's the structure of this bracha. Thoughts, questions? I feel like I'm talking a lot. Thumbs up, thumbs down, everyone's good? Okay. Keep on going. Here we go. <clears throat> Let's go to the third bracha. The bottom of page, middle of page 188, Yerushalayim, the rebuilding of Yerushalayim. Now, it's actually interesting is if you look at the end of the bracha, Right, it's just on the middle of page 190. If you have an art scroll sitter, 191 in the English. It's talking a reference to the rebuilding of, of Jerusalem. I think the idea is, is we're referencing the land and we have to talk about the building of, of Yerushalayim. And um, there is a minimum requirement of, I should mention, Machos Beis David, the kingdom of, of, uh, of King David. And the restoration of the Davidic monarchy, which we re refer to on page 188. And 189, that's the, the minimum, and what, as well as the rebuilding of Yerushalayim, Jerusalem. Now, if you look at how the bracha ends, it's very unusual. It ends, Baruch Hashem, Bonei Berachamav Yerushalayim Amen. There are two notable things that you'll see in this in the conclusion of this of this prayer. First of all, what's with the parentheses? Bonei Berachamav Yerushalayim Amen. The reason for that parentheses is a matter of debate. If you insert that word barachamov, most do, but some do not. 
Vilna Gaon would say you shouldn't, but I think most people actually do insert it. I personally do, but that's where it comes from. Some people have the tradition of leaving that word out. Bonei Berachamov. Berachamov means it's God's compassion. The reason why you should insert it, and this is again, I think the normative position is you do insert it, is because the, the, the prayer begins on page 188, Rachim. God, we ask for your mercy. So that's how it begins. So there's an idea of mirroring the beginning to the end. And that's why we would say, Okay, so that's the first unusual thing. There's a little bit of a uh, uncertainty of the word um, Actually, it's interesting. The art scroll, I'm curious why they did this. They have Rachim Hashem Elokeinu Al Yisrael Amecha You'll, in, in, on page 188. Uh, many, if not most, have the text Rachim Na. You ever, if you pay attention in your benchers, they have it as have mercy, Hashem our God on Israel. Na means please, please have mercy, Hashem our God. Most people, I actually do say that. The Mishnah backhandedly seems to imply that you insert the word na, but again, not imperative one way or another. What's very unique about this bracha is it ends, what's the last word of the bracha? Amen. As a general rule, we do not respond amen to our own prayers. Right? You shouldn't. It's a mistake. You should never respond amen to your own prayer. It's not considered it's it's considered illegal procedure, five-yard penalty. You're not supposed to do that. So one might ask, Rabbi, it says amen at the end of this bracha. Why do we end amen? The reason is because there's one exception to this rule. Sometimes our sages instituted that we do say amen to the end of our prayers. If it's sort of like the end of a segment is a way of sort of contrasting what we just finished with what we're about to do. There are a couple differences between Sfarim and Ashkenazim. There are some other examples where Sfarim will say amen more often than Ashkenazim do. But there are a couple examples where we do say amen to our own bracha. And this is the classic example. Why do we say amen after this bracha? The reason is, is to contrast the first three brachas, which have a Torah requirement of reciting, and the last and the fourth bracha, which is Rabbanan. It's only rabbinic. That's why we insert the word amen. Mishabura says you shouldn't say it like, it should be, it's, it's not like, there. it's sort of like a little bit of a pause. That's how it should be recited, or at least how it should be understood. Question? Joel has a question. Okay. So Zoom, all our, our live people can't hear Joel, but we'll repeat Joel's question. What's that? Joel? Okay. So, um, you know, the, you know, some of these are rabbinic and some of them are Torah based, right? Yes, so sir. I'm really uh, enjoying my new book now, uh, all my mitzvahs. And, and of course I noticed how they really start ramping up as you get into the Torah. Is, is there a reference where I will find that in my book? of In mitzvahs? that book towards yeah. the way end. In the is back, there, Joel wants to know which myth those, there are books, Rishonim, who count the number of the myth, you know, the mitzvahs. We have a tradition, there are 613. Which one from one to 613 is benching? Joel, I'm going to guess it's in the deep in the 400s. Okay. But I'm going to have to find it. I'm going to have to. Okay, that's, that, that, that's okay. I'll, I can look for it. I'll have to, I don't know offhand where exactly it is, but it's going to be, I'm going to say even later. I'm going to say in the 500s. Okay. 500, I'll, final I'll answer. I'll check your work on that. <laughs> um, I like the way it's organized around the weekly portion, though, for sure. There you go. There yeah. you go. Okay. Now, the is that a question in the back? Lauren has a question. 
So Lauren wants to know a story with interrupting for the first three brachas. I would say for the first four brachas, until you've recited the bottom of page 190, including the fourth bracha, literally the answer is emergency only. Emergency only should be the an, a real emergency is the only reason why you should be interrupting. Like a real, real, real emergency. And emergency doesn't mean, oh my gosh, the Redskins just scored a touchdown, come see. Like emergency means, I don't know if it means literally life or death emergency, but like injured, like serious injury emergency. Like it can't wait 30 seconds to finish. It, it's it's interrupting. Um, it, it There are actually halachas. I'm, I'm not just shooting from the hip when I say that. There are actual halachas that govern um, when you can interrupt. The laws for interrupting benching are very similar to the laws of interrupting Berchus Kriyashma, which we'll get to um, in our next unit, may, maybe in a month or so. Um, but it's the, the the short answer is it's, it's an emergency scenario. Yeah. Pa past that, past Al Yechasreinu on bottom page 190, when we get to the Rachamans, even non-emergencies you could respond to. Oh, yeah. okay. After 190. On page 192, if it's a non-emergency, you could respond to it. Before one night, before that, during the first four brachas, emergency only. Okay? L really emergency. The rules are, there are rules. The, the halacha talks about if there's someone who you, you fear. Fear meaning because they can do you harm. So then you might be in, and they're not going to understand. Why aren't you saying hi to them? Hey, Bill, how are you doing? So then it could be you can go out of your way to say hi to them, or you respond if they say hi. Are you supposed to be silent? But the short answer without getting too nuanced is really emergency only, okay? You will note on the bottom page 188 and 190, and the top of the 190, we have additions for holidays and for Shabbos. Ritzay on the bottom of page 188 for Shabbos, and 190 is for holidays, uh, Rosh Chodesh and holidays. Um, the basic idea, the Mishaburah explains, the Ramah explains, the... No, I don't know why. Who says it? It's the Mishaburah quotes it. I don't know who he's quoting. But he says, Our, this is definitely Midrabbana. The requirement of inserting a reference to Shabbos or Yom Tov is definitely Midrabbana. However, if a person leaves out Ritzay or leaves out Yalav Yavo, you very likely will need to repeat your benching, not because it's a Daraisa, but Midrabanan, on a rabbinic level, you have not fulfilled your obligation. You do have to repeat your benching in the following scenarios. Let's talk about, first of all, why did they insert it in this third paragraph, not the second paragraph? In the first paragraph, the reason is, is the third paragraph is a direct bakasha. It's a direct request from God. Rachim, God, have mercy on us and on Jerusalem. So whereas the first two paragraphs are not real bakashos, they're not requests, they're statements of appreciation, of gratitude. So this third prayer, the, the third prayer, which is a prayer of a request, of more of a request, 
So that's where we insert Ritzay and Yalav Yavu, which if you read the language of those insertions, there is a little bit of a request. God, find satisfaction. May it please you through the rest. Through our rest. Yalev Yavo, may our prayers rise up. It's a request. So our sages felt it would be appropriate to insert it in this third paragraph. Okay? What happens if you leave out Ritzay or Yalev Yavo? The basic rule is like this. The rule is, if it's a meal that you have a chiyuv, an obligation to eat that meal, so then you have to include, if if you leave out, let's say, or yala v'yavo, these insertions for Shabbos or, or for holidays, if you leave it out in a meal that you are obligated to eat, you must repeat benching. What does that actually look like? It means like this. On Shabbos, how many meals are you obligated to eat over the course of Shabbos? Three. However, and this is a little confusing, it's really only, really, that is the halacha. We have meal at Friday night, meal Shabbos day, and there's something called shalash, sh sh you ever heard the word shalashudis? What does the word shalashudis mean? It's a slur. It, it, it is, that's where it comes from. The word is shalosh seudos, the three meals. Shalashudis, shalashudis. People think it's like two words, shalashudis. It's shalosh seudos, but it's became this. It's like kind of a Yiddish pronunciation turned into shalashudis. Shalashudis or shalosh seudos, seudashlishit, the third meal. It is the halacha, as you are supposed to eat three meals over the course of a Shabbos. That's the halacha. However, it's not. It's it's a debated halacha. We emerge with the opinion that we follow and we're stringent to eat that third meal. But this is not actually a unanimous opinion. What basically bottom, the bottom line is, if it's the first two meals on a Shabbos, if you forgot Ritzay, you've got to go back. You've got to repeat your benching. Similarly, on Yom Tov, so that's Pesach, Shavuos, or Sukkis, and I believe on Rosh Hashanah as well, I think. I'll have to double check that. If you forgot Yala V'yavo, which is the reference to the holiday, you have to repeat your benching as well. Rosh Chodesh, which is another time where we insert Yala Yavo, you don't have an obligation to eat bread on, on Rosh Chodesh. If you opt not to eat bread, you're fine. So if you forget Yala Yavo on Rosh Chodesh in your benching, you do not need to recite it again. So again, the bottom line is, to make it short, the first two meals on Shabbos or a holiday, if you forgot Ritzay, repeat your mention. If it's the third, fourth, fifth, tenth meal, on a given day of Shabbos or, or, or a holiday, you do not need to repeat benching. Let's say I don't think I left it. I don't know. Let's say you're a Suffolk. I don't know, Rabbi. I can't remember. Did I add Ritzay? So the answer, the short answer is, if you're not sure, we assume you went with what you're normally used to, which is there are six days a week. You don't say Ritzay, this edition for Shabbos. We assume you left it out. There's a difference between that and being neurotic. You wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., I don't remember if I said Ritzay at Friday night benching. That's, and I'm, I'm, I'm being serious. It, it, don't go crazy. If it's immediately after, within five, 10 minutes of your benching, you're like, I, my goodness, I really can't remember. So then yes, you should go back. But if you can't remember what I did three weeks ago, don't worry about it. That's not called the subject. You don't have to proactively remember. It means if you're really, really, really legitimately in doubt, you have to repeat um, uh, Shmona, you have to re repeat benching. I want to draw your attention to page 196 and 197. There's an unusual set of halacha. The compensatory brachas, the compensatory blessings. 
I mentioned if you forgot bench, if you forgot Ritsay or Yalaviyavo, you have to repeat your benching. What does it mean when I say you forgot it? What that means specifically is you've already started the fourth bracha on page 190. Okay? But if you haven't yet started that fourth bracha, so this is very unusual, but it is worth knowing. If you're right in between, let me make this clearer. Let's say you forgot Ritzay, but you just started Oh my gosh, Ritzay, go back to Ritzay, not a problem. It's only once you've concluded this bracha, Baruch HaTashem, B'nei Baruch HaMavir Amen, you can't go back to Ritzay anymore. Once you've finished the bracha on page 190, you can't go back. However, in this very unusual scenario where you finish the bracha but have not yet started the fourth bracha. Okay? So you remembered right in the nick of time. Batman? Anyone get that reference? No? Remember everything in the nick of time? Batman, that was Robin would always say, just in the nick of time, Batman. Okay, never mind. Adam West, the old Batman. Okay, never mind. Is... If you remember just in the nick of time after you finished but you have not yet started the fourth bracha and you remembered, my goodness, I left out Ritzei or Yalaviyava, whether it's Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh or Shabbos, Rosh Chodesh or Yom Tov or whatever it may be, there is a compensatory bracha, a special bracha that you can insert right there and you fulfilled your obligation. I've done this maybe a half a dozen times in my entire life. Why? Because usually one of two things happens. Either I remember my mentioning, I remember the insertion, or I totally forgot it, and I remembered way past, you know, page 192 or 194. It's very rare that you remember just in the nick of time. But it has happened. And if it does happen, totally cool. Find this compensatory bracha, this this this, this uh, addition. You're only going to find it in the art scroll sitter or in a very good bencher. Many, if not most, benchers don't have it, which is why I will repeat what I've said. Every household should have an art scroll sitter because you remember, oh my gosh, where is the compensatory bracha? And you'll look in the table of contents and you'll find it that it's on page 196. Okay? Okay, can we go? I'm going to go three minutes over. Is everyone okay with that? I just, I just want to finish this unit. We're then going to, so that's the story with that. On page 190, 190 on the bottom, we get the fourth bracha. The fourth bracha is that bracha of hatov v'hametiv, that God is good and does and is, does good and does good to others. Hatov v'hametiv. What's the bracha of of uh, of? Why was that? Now this is according to all opinions. This was instituted rabbinically. Our sages instituted it on the Haruge Beitar. It's after the shortly after about a hundred years, just during after the destruction of the Second Temple, during if you recall the Bar Kochva rebellion. There was a rebellion that took place about 100 years or so, it's not exactly clear, right around 100 years after the destruction of the Second Temple. There was still a large Jewish community in a place called Betar, and they were slaughtered by the Romans. Many, 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 it was a massacre. Many, many Jews were killed. It was a horrific, horrific massacre. And the Jews, the, sadly, the slain, the corpses, there was a miracle. They didn't decompose in the natural way. And they were actually weeks, if not months, if not more than that, after the massacre, their corpses were still intact that they were able to be buried. Okay? It's a miracle. So the, to the our sages instituted this bracha, God is good, that their corpses didn't 
decompose the hamative and he does good to others that they were they were able to be they got kuras Israel. they are able to be to be buried in accordance with Jewish law because of this miracle that they the, the these two elements of kindness the god the bodies didn't decompose and they were actually eventually able to be buried so we, our sages instituted this in our benching which is nice and interesting, but a little off, like a little weird. Like why of all places? Like, okay, it's a beautiful miracle and should be commemorated somewhere in Judaism. Why in our benching of all places? The Arach HaSholchan explains, it's a, it's really a beautiful, this should make it into a Rabbi Matt's sermon somewhere. But he says an amazing thing. He says, when we really, the main idea of our prayers in benching is, is our recognition that God, everything that we have, our sustenance really comes from God. If you really think about it, the Haruge Beitar was a disaster. It was a calamity. The Jews were killed. But the Arachal Shechat says, isn't it interesting? It's a demonstration of God's wrath and anger. But even in that anger, that moment of wrath, that moment of not such great things for the Jewish people, if you looked carefully, not even so carefully, but even in that moment, there was still an element of God's kindness. They were, their bodies didn't decompose. They were able to be buried. Even in God's wrath, God is still miraculously intervening as a sign of God's love. Narach HaShulchan says that's why we've attached it to benching, as a way of recognizing, reminding ourselves, God loves, loves us so much. Even in his wrath, he'll do a miracle to help us out. Surely God will provide for us. That's how the Arach HaShulchan understands it. It's a very cool idea. That's his, his understanding. And we should have... Um, we should have that in mind. The text of this bracha is, you'll find a lot of threes. The word melech, God's kingdom, appears three times. We'll talk about um, there's a lot of uh, triple expressions here based on certain halachic reasons why that's there. And that's the structure for the third blessing. Um, maybe just to end, when we get to page 192, 192 through the till the last paragraph on 194 are a lot of prayers that begin with harachaman. Oh, compassionate one. What are these things? The I believe it's the Arach HaShulchan as well. He compares it to, if you recall in your Shemona Esther, we have 19 brachas, 19 blessings that we recite. These are very structured. You have to recite these 19. What happens when you finish those 19? Let Sim Shalom, that's the last bracha. After, excuse me, after Sim Shalom, what happens? There's an addendum. If you recall, there's an additional prayer where you can kind of like insert your own, own prayer here. And over the generations, there is a certain addendum that's been added. They compare these prayers on 192 through 194 to the, to the addendum to the Shemona Asri. These are additional prayers. These are additional things where we ask God for, for sustenance. God, you should provide for us with dignity. These are additional prayers of sustenance and provision that we ask of God. Um, this is an ancient tradition. It goes back easily. The Tur himself actually references this. So this goes back at least to the, to the 14th century, the 13th century. So this, again, it's not found in the Talmud, but it goes a long, many, you know, probably almost a millennia ago that these have been added. Are they required prayers? The answer is no. If a person has a, is in a real rush, or as we mentioned, you're in an emergency, can you end your benching at the end of page 190? Yeah, absolutely. If a person's in a real rush, can you leave out page 192? Absolutely. However, I will reference what Rav Shlomo, I think it was Rav Shlomo Zaman Arbach said. He said, why would you want to? 
These are prayers we're asking God to sustain us and give us. And these are these are beautiful prayers. He says, you want to leave these out. Like, let's say you got to rush because you got to watch the football game. You, you leave them out. It's fine. You're not obligated to recite that. But you're not, you're not, you're only hurting yourself. Again, if it's really an emergency, and I know someone, someone told me he's, he's like, he's been in like certain professional scenarios where he really did not have that extra 30 seconds. A rabbi, a very pious rabbi told me he's left this out many times when he's like, he's a teacher and he's on break and he's got to get back to his class. He will leave these out, that type of thing. Don't be too quick to leave them out. I would not rec recommend it, but it should be noted. It's not required. The only thing that I would definitely encourage is on page 192, You'll see there is a right below the, the great box. It says guests recite the following, right? Recite the following. It's called Bercha Saores, the prayer of guests. There is a special prayer that guests, if you're a guest at someone's house, you should recite. For one reason or another, the actual this text actually appears in the Talmud, in the gray box, the expanded version in the gray box. For whatever reason, throughout the generations, it hasn't been incorporated as standard issue in benchers. And no one really knows why, because this is actually, the, the text in the gray box actually is found in the Talmud, which means it's probably a good idea to recite. I do recite it if I'm at someone's house and I happen to have this text, I will recite it, but you don't have to. You just follow the, the regular standard text in the benching has like a sh much shorter version of what to include. You'll see on page 194, there's the, right before the last paragraph, there's a difference between on weekdays versus on days where Musaf is recited, we recite Magdil versus Migdal. What's the difference? Nobody knows. It's the Mishnah. It's based on Kabbalistic difference. I don't really know, but it is quoted, I believe, in the Mishnah Bura or in the, in the footnotes, but I believe in the Mishnah Bura, he quotes it some Kabbalistic reason. You say Magdil or Migdal. A lot of weird theories on what the difference is. There's certainly no rational difference. Not to say it's irrational, it just means it's going to be Kabbalistic. And Benching concludes on the bottom of 194 with a bunch of verses. Yura Sashem Kedoshav. That last paragraph is not really a paragraph. It's a compilation of about five or six verses. All, all these verses talk about how God provides for those uh, who he loves. Uh, for, for those who fear God, they're never going to be lacking. These are verses that talk about God, God blessing people with plenty, with nourishment and sustenance. I've gone way over, so I want to thank you all for coming. If anyone has any questions, I'm here to stick around. What do you say? You've been listening to the Jewish Living Podcast with Rabbi Nahal Math. Please do us a favor and like and share this podcast, ask a question, or leave a comment.